podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the final of my 2023 Rugby World Cup preview series. We round things out by looking at the tournament itself, which kicks off on Friday night in Saint-Denis. After four years of build-up, ticketing chaos, questionable pool stage, draw timing, excitement, fear, and basically everything in between, we've finally arrived. It's World Cup week. Joining me to preview the tournament are three esteemed Irish rugby journalists. Firstly, making his second appearance on the channel after incorrectly predicting Leinster to win the Champions Cup is the 42 Rugby Weekly podcast presenter, Gavin Casey. Welcome back, Gavin. Okay, long. Thank you for that. Good to see you. I heard things. All good on, on my end. And joining him as well are two debutants. Firstly, we have a regular of the Red Hand and the Harpen on Rugby podcast, as well as journalist for the Irish Times, Nathan John. So welcome, Nathan. Yeah, I'll stay back. Thanks for having me. Oh, good and good to have you as always. And finally, another one of the 42.e's rugby team is with us as well. It's writer Kieran Kennedy. So welcome, Kieran. Hi, Kaylan. Thanks for having me. Well, lads, it's a matter of hours, days now at this stage. And it's, I've I've asked this question approximately 15 or 16 times at this stage. And it, it's the answer just stays the same about excitement. Kieran, I'll start with you. You'll be heading over at some stage to the World Cup. So you must be getting excited at this stage. Yeah, I can't wait for it now. It's kind of been on the horizon there for a while. Everything over the last couple of years, you've got the World Cup in the back of your mind. Um, the warm-up games can become a little bit of a slog. It feels like, you know, the main event is, is kind of getting there, but you have to kind of get through those. Um, but yeah, it's 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 here now, and what a way to kick it off the weekend with um, France New Zealand on Friday night. I can't wait for it. I think it's going to be a brilliant tournament. I think there's lots of teams coming in 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 good form and I think there's going to be lots of good rugby and it's going to be a tournament remembered for the right reasons I think so yeah can't wait for it to all kick off I suppose you've you pretty much nailed it hit nailed the head there it's it's the standard of rugby as well that's through the roof and like I, I come to you as, as well Gavin like it, it's hard not to be excited you could like the man in the street is excited for this World Cup it feels like yeah, I think the man is excited, dogs and all. And for such a long time, it feels like an abstract concept, Kaylon, doesn't it? In so far as you're almost viewing all test rugby through a lens of World Cup context, if you like. You're sort of applying things during test games in random Novembers, years in advance, Six Nations, Summers, to what that might look like in two and a half, three years' time when a World Cup pool stage comes around and as recently as November, we couldn't even really enjoy a fantastic Irish victory over South Africa at the Aviva because you're wondering to what degree was it shadow boxing by South Africa? How much were they going to develop their power game and the rest of their game in the intervening nine, ten months? Was this Ireland at their very best? Was there scope for them to improve? These are all the questions that I was asking myself, at least around that time. And I'm probably still asking myself some of those questions. We'll get into all of it. But I think it's the fact that you're going into this tournament with such uncertainty. It's a bit of a risky thing for, to say for a guest on a podcast, but I have almost nothing of value to actually say about this World Cup because I have no idea what's going to happen. That's the beauty of this tournament in particular. That's why this one 
stands out to me as being the most exciting of my lifetime because you have four bona fide contenders going into it, any of whom could beat the other on a given day. And you have a couple of fringe contenders then as well. I'm talking about Australia, Argentina, who have a path towards a final that's perfectly conceivable in their right. So I can't remember being this excited for a World Cup. I can't remember being so emotionally invested in a World Cup. And I get the sense around this country, at least, that most people's perception of it is the same because Ireland, for the first time, are legitimate contenders in form going into it. And I I, I would make a distinct, uh, distinction between this and, say, 07, when you could have said the same thing, at least before the warm-up games, because we are, strictly speaking, the number world, number one team in the world. And there hasn't been a drop-off like there was in 2019. We have every right to believe that our own country can be in the mix at the very end of it. And it doesn't really get better than that beforehand, at least. Absolutely. And I suppose, Nathan, as Gavin touched upon there, we are almost expecting, we're hopeful, maybe not expecting, but hopeful that Ireland will be in the business end of the tournament. And the provinces have had good years as well. You know, Leinster, Munster having recent success, Ulster have kicked on and Connacht. Like all of that just adds to the excitement as well, doesn't it? Because you have players and fans just bouncing into it. Because it's a pretty short break from, you know, end of season one to, to World Cup warm-up games. So it's, we just bounce from rugby to rugby and it's it's adds to the excitement, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess World Cup years are when rugby most resembles Premier League football in that there's no such thing really as a as an off season, isn't it? And during a World Cup year of all of all years. Um yeah, I, I agree with your point and I think it's a really interesting one because it's at least for me in recent memory and recently YS might be playing a part here, but it's the it's the most kind of reflective uh international form has been of, of the club form, I think, you know. For years, how how often have we said, you know, Wales have always massively outperformed their their regionals performances, etc. Whereas now all of a sudden the poor regional form tends is, is looking like it's matched by the national side. And um, you know, England's Premier Premiership struggles in the back end of Europe is, is being mirrored by a yeah, you know, a, a struggling England side. And you know, like we said, the Irish provinces are, are there, thereabouts in, in both the URC and the, and the Champions Cup. Um and you know, Irish side won the URC and a French side won the Champions Cup and there's no no uh, no surprises those two are the favourites. So yeah, by all means, I think the, the the fact that the club season has gone the way it does certainly adds into it. Um, business end. I don't know how we define business end. A quarter final against France is probably business end, but I'm sure uh, you know it's it's the dramatic irony of the terrible draw that you said that it probably is the best Irish team going into the World Cup, and there's still a very very good chance that they just they still don't get past the quarter final. So um, yeah, I guess that just adds to it, doesn't it? It just adds to the the tension and the build up, doesn't it? Yeah, and I have a piece that will have already gone live by the time the this podcast goes live. And I, I've talked about it, you know, like for years, Irish rugby didn't have a lot of hope. But now we've hope and we're we're worried. Like it's it's the same side of the coin. It's the opposite side of the coin in some ways. Like, you know, we're Grand Slam champions, but we're, yet we're scared of France in, San, in Stade de France because every nation in rugby, no matter how good or bad France are at the time, are afraid of them. And I suppose... Like we'll talk about the pretenders later on, maybe about Gavin just to get into the the pool stages, the main contenders, like every pool, and we'll start with France's in pool A in in a second. Every pool has its own intrigue, its own storylines. You know, there's a lot of symmetry, be it you know coaching changes or dips in form and rises in form and whatnot. And like pool A has the hosts, the favorites, France, the All Blacks, and then it also has Italy, Uruguay, and Namibia, like. 
for first and foremost, how do you see it pan out? But also, this is a great pool to to whet the appetite in some ways, isn't it? It is and it isn't. I think it's an unbelievable curtain raiser, and it's amazing the degree to which the competition, or at least the pool stages, have been front loaded. When you consider the caliber of fixtures we can enjoy over the coming weekend, but. I actually think it's the least in- interesting pool, Kalon, in that we do know who's coming out of it. And you actually cannot say that for the other three. And for France and New Zealand to face off on Friday night is going to make for a fantastic Friday night, no matter where you are in the rugby world. But it probably doesn't leave much then for the rest of that pool to really salivate over. It's really unfortunate that, that Italy find themselves in this one, because you can imagine if they were in Pool C with Wales and Australia rather than Fiji, we could conceivably be talking about them perhaps making it to a quarterfinal. You could almost make the case that they could crawl out of England's pool as well with Argentina. We don't know. It's like alternate universe stuff. But I think as opening fixtures go, it doesn't get better than the two pre-tournament favourites, at least most recently, meeting in the home stadium of the host nation where the atmosphere is going to be feral, where we are going to actually discover a lot about both of those teams as much as you can get away with shadow boxing in that game because you know realistically we're making it out regardless and you know the quarterfinal is a little bit of pick your poison and, and you just don't have an idea yet from a kiwi or a french perspective as to who you'll be facing whether you win or lose your opener but looking at that game in particular and trying to ascertain as to who comes out on top of it i think france even without jonathan dante i know there were some suggestions he might make a back let's uh, my understanding at the moment at least and I think it'll be the same as everybody is that he might not be risked for that game which again you know you probably take the risk if it's a quarterfinal but France feel as though let's not overdo it with him particularly the loss of Cyril Boy given New Zealand's progress in the front row and some of the changes they've made there I, I know they got absolutely monstered by South Africa at Twickenham but I still think they're a really formidable front row and somebody like Boy coming off the bench even is such a, a massive asset for France in that context. So like, even though, even with France missing some of those key guys, I haven't even mentioned Roman Entomac yet. Um, Paul Williamson, you could say, is a massive loss on paper, probably not on form. Just because it's the opener, because it's going to be 65,000 people at Stade de France and because both teams are going to be warming into things a little bit the onus will be on France to win that game and I expect that they will and ultimately that will decide that pool like I'm pretty confident France will top that pool I don't know what you think yourself no I, I'm in the same boat and you know a, a friend of this pod um, Keenan Willard did a permutations excel spreadsheet that was just that, that just met my day so I could just type in different results and I do have France top in that group myself but as you said there is also the sense of you just can't be too certain just because of France's injuries. And like Dante, you talk about taking the risk. Ron Nogara took the risk back in May and it worked. But if France take the risk and it doesn't work this time, then there's different questions. There's already questions over France. And like personally, I'm just as excited to see Italy, Uruguay as seeing the rest of the games in this pool. Like first game, yeah, unbelievable showpiece event. Like only France having lost in 07 at the opening game would play New Zealand in the opening game, you know, 16 years later. It's it's typically French, but like Italy-Uruguay, that could be a battle for automatic qualification for next time around. And like, there's these different things about these pools as well, which is which is always lingering. Like, I think the consensus is France and New Zealand to go through. And if if that's straightforward, the rest of the merit, you said it yourself, like Pool B, 
and I'll draw this over to yourself, Nathan. Like you've got Ireland were number one, but yet we're still cautious of South Africa, the reigning champions, Scotland, who listen, they're they're the fifth ranked team in the world. That's the perfect estimation of Scotland. You've got Tonga with all their their new players, their new converts, and then you have Romania lurking. So like it's it's scary this pool in some regards, but if we were neutrals, we'd be just salivating for this one, wouldn't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the pick your poison line that Gav said earlier works works this pool exactly as the same. You know, you get through this, and if you got the other side, it's 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 pool A and and, and all that. So it's it, yeah. Look, I think it's it's a point that's been made a thousand times. I don't want to labour on it too much, but the uh, the draw of this of this tournament is is shambolic, really, when you when you look at it. But yeah, look. That being said, I think Ireland certainly embrace. Wanting to be the best outside in this group and, 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 and taking on all those challenges, having played South Africa recently, there's obviously a big confidence boost there. Um, you know, obviously South Africa with the end of their, their their tour, but, you know, Ireland dealt with the physicality and line speed of, of traditional boxings pretty well in that game. Um, it was interesting. I remember that being in view of that November night, the adjustments they made against South Africa, which were kind of adjustments that have come to define this Andy Farrell era of, you know, not making things up as you go, but working on the fly and figuring out quickly what's going wrong and fixing it, which is something that the ability to go off the cuff is, is obviously a home, something that's not been a hallmark of previous teams. But I remember that game, uh, Jesse Creel just kept shutting down Irish attacks because they kept throwing lineouts over the 15. So that line speed just had a head start and after about three lineouts, Ireland fixed it. So you know, little things like that, you may think back on and you go, yeah, I think this Irish side is able to deal with the South African threats. And to be perfectly honest with you, I, I don't necessarily think the narrative of of Ireland being bullied by big bigger sides is there anymore I mean it, it hasn't happened for quite some time I mean I think there's one pretty big reason for that and it's if you think back to the the post 2018 Grand Slam side that seemingly every year went to Twickenham and, and got monstered I mean if you if you think about what the changes that have been made in that and from that side you know you've got two behemoths of, of hookers that have come in in, in Sheehan and Kelleher Port has moved across Byrne and Ryan have kind of gone into career best form and, and Doris has also come into that side and, and Van der Fleer put on 10 kilos so someone somewhere made a concerted effort or decision to, to get this Irish pack bigger and it's still not the biggest in the world but you know we, we don't talk about Ireland's size differential really anymore so the South African game from an Irish point of view I think it doesn't it doesn't really concern not concern but I don't think it has the same fear that it would have done uh, 18 months ago uh, I think the Scotland game is, is absolutely fascinating because I've absolutely no idea what to expect from them um, let's play the game of looking far too much into the warm-ups that game they played against France was an absolute cracker uh, well two really really good games against France one a full strength France well, one one less so so who knows what's going to happen there and what we're going to get what they're, they're going to get out of that um, the one thing I would say is I'm not necessarily sure I'd buy the the Tongan ringer hype necessarily. Um, I think Falau or no Falau, I, I think they struggle. Um, you know, they that playmaker. I, I just, I don't see them having guys that can marshal them around and, and control games. I mean, you know, if you remember that they don't have the halfbacks that they did back in 2011 when they had, when they beat France in that World Cup and they had Tanya Lamoa, which remember me at the kind of the red uh cornrows uh he dyed his, his hair to match the tongue jersey like they don't have figures like that anymore as much as they have added talent and like Fafita and all those guys um so yeah i think look ireland are justifiably favorites Um that scotland game is arguably the most unpredictable i think just based on it's tough to get a read on scotland at the minute and 
yes, South Africa did monster New Zealand, but I think Ireland are better equipped than New Zealand to to to, to deal with that. Um, so that's I think I look I think they're justifiable favourites for that group. Yeah, no, absolutely, and it's we've we've spoken we've on this podcast. You know, every team has been covered. South Africa, Scotland were probably two of the bigger ones, just simply because they're in our group, and you know the Scottish fans they slightly fear Tonga because it's in Scotland's nature over the last couple of years. The South African fans, they don't know what to think because they have not been a consistent team the last four years. And even myself, they're my favourites to win the World Cup. You know, spoilers there, but that is a factor. They haven't been consistent. And just quickly before I move off this, and I just come to yourself, Kieran. like Ireland, as Nathan said, they, they're learning to embrace this tag as being favourites, as being world number one. They're enjoying their rugby. You know, they've they've beaten South Africa, they've beaten Scotland, they haven't lost to Scotland in six years, I think it is. Like cautiously optimistic is probably the right way of phrasing it for Ireland, isn't it? Um, yeah. And there's every reason to be optimistic for you know, like you look at the results they've had over the last 18 months under Andy Farrell, and not only that, it's never I don't think anyway it's ever felt like they've peaked. They've always been building on performances. There's always looked like there's a little bit more they can add to their game. It's a very different squad as well to the squad that went to the World Cup in 2019. You've got 18 players who are going to their first World Cup. So like there'll obviously be pressure there, but you've got a lot of really important guys in this squad who don't have the baggage of quarterfinal defeats hanging over them. Like guys like James Lowe, Hugo Keenan, Caelan Doris, lads who are central to this Ireland squad, they don't have fear of playing South Africa. I don't think they don't, they certainly don't have fear of playing Scotland. So like you're looking at a team that's, you know, what they haven't really quite hit the heights in the warm up games, but over the last 18 months, they're in extremely impressive form. They've got players who are in the form of their life. And I think they're just coming to this world cup in, in like really, really, really good shape. Um, and yeah, I think there's every reason to be optimistic. Like the South Africa game is the one that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a really, really tight game, I think. Um I wouldn't have the same fear about Scotland. But um yeah, I'd be extremely optimistic with Ireland's chances in the group. Absolutely. Could I just jump in, Kaylon, to pick yeah, up on what, what a what a couple of the lads were saying there? Like, I mean, Nathan's point about the profile of Ireland's pack changing is a really good one. And about the way that Farrell and his coaching staff and now the players are able to think on the fly as well. It often reminds me of the, the great boxing coach in Ireland, Zorantia from Georgia, who's responsible for over a quarter of Ireland's Olympic medals. He has this theory that if he can create a universal boxer, they're capable of defeating any kind of opponent. And it sort of strikes me that Farrell is trying to turn Ireland into that sort of team. The power deficit isn't really there anymore. That was definitely a concerted effort. Um, but equally, if you think back to how Ireland tried to attack South Africa in that game in November, as Nathan said, like Jesse Creel was able to cut out a lot of that. But even in transition, they found a way to get it done with that Hanson try. There are just so many strings to Ireland's bow now that you could make the argument that they're the most complete team in the tournament. And then I think you could make a strong argument that if they were on the other side of the draw of this tournament, we would be going in with far more than cautious optimism. I think Ireland would probably win the World Cup at that point. <laughs> The, the draw is unbelievably cruel and 
ultimately injuries are going to play such a massive role in this World Cup. And from an Irish perspective, we're thinking of who might we lose along the way and will it get to a breaking point if Ireland make it past the quarterfinal that they're simply unable to mask over some of the deficiencies that would be exposed in any squad if you lose seven or eight frontliners, regardless of depth. The flip side of that is other teams are going to pick up injuries as well. I always think of it only from an Irish perspective. I'm hopeful that if injuries play as big a factor as we fear, that it's relatively even across the board. And just to to finish on that, one of the issues in the past with Irish teams, it's a bit of a trope at this point, was that games like the France game in the 2015 World Cup took such an emotional toll that it was very difficult to rediscover that pitch the following week. And the Argentina quarterfinal is a different ball game anyway in terms of the, the losses there in personnel. But... What Farrell has in Here's we have lost Gav mid sentence. Um, I we'll come back to that in a minute. Um, apologies for those at home listening. So, I suppose move on to Pool C. We we'll get to your Pool D with yourself, Kieran, in a minute. And you know, like I'm kind of I'll go, I'll take Pool C because I don't want to be talking about England again. I've done enough of that as I as I said before the podcast and. Like you got a quintet of Wales, Australia, Fiji, Georgia, Portugal. In terms of world ranking alone, it's one of the most competitive ever. I think Fiji are something like seventh, and am I right in saying Portugal are sixteenth or something like that? Or need about nine places between them. Like it's it's crazy. It's unbelievable. And like it's essentially you, you know, you use the phrase pick your poison. Well, it's pick your two into three that go out of this pool you know like some people have Australia and Wales some people have Australia and Fiji some people have Wales and Fiji some people are saying you know Fiji to beat Wales lose to Australia and the three teams end up none of them unbeaten and it's a shootout to get top spot like that's in terms of World Cups and you know rugby some you know rugby value diehards would say we can't compare ourselves to soccer but if this was a soccer World Cup and that was one of the pools with four or five teams so close in stature to each other, we'd be we'd be so excited for it. And as neutrals, this is where we can step back compared to the to the Ireland pool. And I'll get I'll get your thoughts on it actually, Nathan, just on this one, like as well, because Wales, Australia, Fiji, any of those can go through. Georgia have beaten Wales before, they've beaten Fiji before. Portugal, by all accounts, they were they really impressed Ireland over in their training camp and you know they've got some really impressive backlines they could run up a score if nothing else like this is kind of this is probably the real pool of death isn't it <laughs> um maybe not on world ranking but uh I think it's it's the pool of death in the sense of everyone's exp- obviously everyone's expecting a heavyweight to go out in in pool b with one you know we all probably think it's going to be Scotland, but in pool, in this pool, you're still thinking Gatland's Wales, he's had, you know, anytime Gatland gets an extended period of time with a group of players, he has a track record of getting them to overperform um, or at least perform higher than expectations perhaps. So I think there's a lot of people who still think it would be a shock if Wales weren't to to qualify. I necessarily don't agree with that. So it's pool of death in, in that sense, in, in that. But I mean, look, I, I can't wait to watch Fiji. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that England game um, for various different reasons. Um, they look. I think the difference between maybe a Fiji and a Tonga at the minute is that both sides have the attacking flair to maybe kind of get those consolation tries that or start games well and put pressure like Fiji did in Diviva. 
um last last November. But they're probably not built to win games. They're built to get scores like that that either keep them in contention early or a consolation and make the scoreboard um, not necessarily uh, rampant. Whereas I think that's how Tonga are kind of constituted at the minute with that talent. Whereas I think Fiji are actually built to win games now. I mean, in the Pacific Nations Cup, their scrum was absolutely on fire and, and, and dominant. And that's not something we've seen from Fiji, Fiji and, uh, sides in, in the past. Um, they've got a really exciting new out half. Um, his name his name escapes me. I'll, I'll look it Caleb, up and come back to Caleb months. Yeah, months, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's looked like fantastic. He's played really, some really good stuff for the Drua and he's come in and he's and he's played some really good stuff in the warm-ups. And, you know, they've had a penchant to play people like two at 12 for some reason, which has worked as well with Van Drager. So there's a lot of scary possibilities in there, but equally it would be the most Fiji thing imaginable to beat Wales and lose to Georgia. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's, there's a lot to play for in that group. Um, the one thing I would say is I think Fiji setting up there, shoring up their set piece probably mitigates against the Georgian factor a little bit. But um, yeah, you're dead right. This group is as exciting as, as the rest of them. I don't think it compares to Group B in terms of the pool of death. But um, put it this way, Wales wouldn't surprise me if Wales go out. And obviously that's a big wake-up call for the WRU. Um, but equally, Fiji would be very, very disappointed if, if they don't go through as well. And a lot of people are saying, you know, they have to learn to deal with the expectation. It's been probably a criticism of Italy over the last year or so that when they've been ex- expected to perform, they haven't done. You know, that's that's the thing that Tier 2 nations have to learn to to adapt to. And it's probably something Samoa have had thrown on them now. You know, all of a sudden, one good performance in the lashing rain in Bayonne against Ireland and people are expecting them to possibly take England. I, I'm one of those, I think you know, stylistically they're a perfect matchup to taking and then here on like if pool C and B are going to be exciting for the brand of rugby, this could be just equally bland because of the styles that, you know, England, Argentina, Samoa, Japan to a lesser extent and Chile to a lesser extent will play. But they're all unknown. They're all with, you know, wishy washy form at best. But it's again, it's it's very finely poised, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. There is there's a there's an element of the unknown with this group, and if you know, I'm probably looking at it as one that can be fascinating and entertaining for very different reasons to the other pools. Like obviously, England are the story here. They've just been appalling, really, under Steve Borthwick, and obviously, it was a very uninspired looking team that he took over from Eddie Jones, anyway. And I've I've a bit of sympathy for the for the situation that he walked into. It's a tough job to turn down, but they just look devoid of of any real plan. And the most concerning thing really with England is that style of play that Bortwick is after. Like that shouldn't take months to embed and, and get right. Like it's largely quite straightforward stuff for players at that elite level to take on board. They're just hoping it, it'll all click into place from somehow in France. And it's really, really hard to see that happening because there's, not really anything you can point to over the last year or more and say there's something to build on here there's something encouraging happening but the thing that also makes England interesting in this World Cup is that they could still sort of stumble into a semi-final and sure who knows what happens there but um, yeah there could be spills and thrills in this group and England Argentina in Marseille on Saturday night this weekend there's a game for England to kick it off Argentina are maybe the team outside the usual big hitters that are just kind of nicely coasting into this World Cup. They're the they're the highest ranked team on that side of the draw, yet there's no great expectations around them, really. They've had some good results under under Cheka. They they look in decent shape, and obviously you don't need to tell Irish rugby fans how dangerous they can be at a World Cup. 
Samoa, as you said, Ireland obviously gave Ireland the rattling beyond. They they'll be they're right to be targeting a scalp here. Like they have some really good players, and given the challenges they have between World Cups in terms of just getting games against top tier nations, it'd be it'd be wonderful to just see them showcase their potential properly on the biggest stage. Like we've seen glimpses for them here, and when you look at the pool they're in, there's a chance for them to do something memorable. Japan. I don't think we'll get a repeat of the heroics of 2019. They're not at the same level as they were four years ago. Obviously, once again, once off games, you just you just never know. But it's kind of sad that they haven't kicked on since 2019, actually, because they were such a joy to watch at that tournament. And in 2019, there was real progress from the famous result against the box in 2015. It now just looks to have stagnated a bit. And with Jamie Joseph leaving, like, Michael Leach is 34 now. You'd kind of fear for what the next few years look like for Japan, I think. Um, and then Chile, you're obviously the underdogs of the pool, but it's great that they're there. You know, a first appearance at the World Cup, what you'd love for Chile is for them just to get that moment, you know, something they can take from the experience and, and look back on fondly. And like, they're able to play the out half. Um, Rodrigo Fernandez scored the World Rugby Try of the Year last year, running in a brilliant solo score and an absolute dog of a pitch um but yeah at the same time you look at you look at the squad list most of the team played for Seltenham rugby uh formed in 2019 the resources they're working off compared to some of the other unions like there is no comparison really it, it's going to be very tough for them but you know if there was a group that you could throw them into and say see what you can do maybe this is the one yeah absolutely and you know maybe Maybe Chile can just do something magical, as you said, just have that moment because that's also what we like to see in these tournaments. But probably worth noting, you know, when I was doing notes for previous podcasts, England, Argentina, we're all excited for it. You know, it could define who comes out of the group and all this. Two notoriously slow starting teams. That's the only thing, the only caveat I'd throw out there to kind of dampen everyone's parade. Argentina, bar the Spain game, have scored one first half try in their last like six games. England, their two first halves against Wales were just dire, absolutely dire. And I suppose Gavin, like, I, I Kieran brilliantly ran through all, all five teams there. Everyone here is is looking at England, you know, like it's always the England question. Argentina have the the check of factor. Samoa, Andrew Goodman, and and Michael Alatoa as well. You know, worth noting. There's there's something about this pool that just. Like you can't quite put your finger on it's it's unknown as we kind of said, but it's I don't know like could someone come out of this pool and possibly just feel like oh we're only getting into gear now like that's kind of what Argentina have been saying publicly. Yeah, and if you look at their results under Michael Shekin, it's almost comical the degree to which they're unable to back up big results. Typically, they might go. I mean, some of their most famous wins in recent times have been followed up by defeats and even heavy defeats when you think of uh, New Zealand last year. And it definitely feels as though they're gearing towards this pool where it's front-loaded for them, right? You've England and then Samoa. And if you can just win one of those, which and I, I expect they'll win both, you can sort of taper off a little bit in the pool, take your foot off the gas, um, use your full squad, and go into a quarterfinal extremely fresh. At which stage, I think, the Michael Checker effect has to be taken into account here. You've got a weak side of the draw, and this is the guy who's won 
Heineken Cup with Leinster in 2009, Super Rugby with Duarte in 2014, who has already brought Australia to World Cup final a year later. He is a knockout rugby specialist. He's a massive asset for them to have, particularly within the context of this competition. Um, with England, there's nothing that I could say about England that hasn't already been said. Um, I, I think they're going to struggle to get out of the pool, but I think they will get out of the pool. I, I believe they're residually good enough to beat Samoa, but I don't think that they'll do it especially convincingly. And yeah, you can make the case for them as well. Being relatively fresh for a quarterfinal, but I honestly just do not think they have the soul as a collective to get any further than that, regardless of who they meet in the quarterfinal. I, I think they're in big, big trouble. We're probably going to be talking about biggest disappointments and stuff later on. I don't know if England can even qualify as that because so many people now anticipate that they will be that. But... um a fun pool, I think, because Samoa are in there and we're suddenly expectant that they can do something. Their set piece has been shored up, the same as Fiji's. They're a fundamentally good team. They are the cat among the pigeons in Pool D. If they weren't in there, God only knows what we'd be talking about because, again, like it's the storylines would actually be the teams in the lower rungs of that pool rather than the, the big two, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. And just... I suppose we'll move on to just final predictions of how we see, you know, the two teams getting out of each in towards the end of the show. But Irish podcast, Irish journalists, we kind of have to talk about Ireland in, in its own slot as well. And I start yourself, Kieran, like as we kind of said earlier, the vibes and atmosphere all feel very good. There is the slight injury concerns, you know, Ireland, as things stand, only have 30 fit players, which for the first game isn't isn't particularly ideal, you know. Andy Farrell loves adversity, I suppose. That's the only positive you can put in it. But we should still feel comfortable, at least for the first two weeks. Like Romania, tipped 114 points in their last three games. Tonga looked the weakest of the Pacific Island nations. And, you know, Ireland, surely, from a mile out, we're thinking our season, our World Cup doesn't really start until the third week of September. Yeah, yeah. I think the the the, the way the games has fallen for them is 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 huge. Um. And like, this is again why we should be confident about Ireland. I think like there's a part of me that's just you know, Jesus Ireland World Cup quarter final against France and New Zealand. Maybe that's it. But at the same time, like this is this is the best Ireland squad I think that's ever gone to a World Cup. So like Jesus, if you can't if you can't feel confident now, when can we ever? Romania and Tonga is a really nice way to kind of build up into the tournament, get some confidence going, get lads properly up and running, iron out the last few little kinks and the performances that we've seen over over the warm-up games. Um, then you've got that huge South Africa game and then you've got a week off before you go into Scotland as well. So there's even a chance for guys to just kind of freshen up a bit after that. And yeah, like you, you look at the other World Cup favourites, like France, South Africa, New Zealand, this Ireland team is, has beaten all of those over the last year. They've beaten England, they've beaten Australia, they've beaten Scotland. Like, and you know, as we touched on earlier, I think it's always felt like there's more to come from this team. Um, but there will be pressure there, definitely. Um, but that's the same for everybody. And and just to go back to your point on the injuries, actually, like Keane Healy was the big one before the World Cup. But, you know, if we're to believe what we're being told by Andy Farrell and the coaches, Dan Shee and Jack Conan and Dave Coyne are kind of tracking nicely to to be back for the later games in the pool stages. So if that is the case, Ireland are going into the tournament with no major, major injury concerns. Like Barkeen Healy, every player that Andy Farrell would want to have in his squad in France 
is there and and that's huge like compared to some of the other teams and you see like the um some of the losses they've had in terms of injuries but like Gab touched on it earlier to get, to get a good world cup run you need a lot of luck but if you step back and look at the shape and form of this Ireland squad now I think you can only feel good about the chances oh, and I've mentioned that same point as Gavin before and the fact that you look at Irish teams or you look at previous World Cups rather apologies and it is essentially better to be lucky than to be good you, aside from Stephen Donald 2011 that was still a fairly fully fit New Zealand side you know and it's luck is a huge factor like if Ireland get Dan Sheehan from South Africa to final well, it's better than getting them from Romania to quarterfinal. Like it's, it really is that simple as as kind of basic as that sounds. And I'll come to you next, Nathan, because like this is a squad brimming with confidence. And some people will say, "Oh, it's a sign of peaking or whatever," but it really feels like Ireland are leaning and growing from their form and confidence over the past two years, rather than having passed that. And you know. It, it feels like a, a stepping stone, I suppose, is what I'm looking for. Yeah, it, it certainly does. Uh, although I'm not really sure how much I agree with the kind of the idea of of peaking or, you know, timing your run and all that, because like it's as if people put off, there's a finite limit on the amount of good rugby that can be played by a group of individuals. I mean, you know, it's 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 not quite as simple as that, uh, as we know. I mean, everyone says our Joe Schmidt's Ireland peaked in 2018. Um, I just think that was to kind of, go back to what Gav was saying earlier, that was a very good rugby side that wasn't the total rugby side and people figured out a way of, you know, stemming that that, that Joe Schmidt side at England in the Aviva in 2019 more um, memorably and they, they had no response to it. Whereas this Ireland side, as we've said, is more complete, more rounded. Uh, it has more variation to the game. They're less reliant on one individual playmaker. Um, so all, all of that goes into it. Yeah, and equally, you know, the kind of the form points and peaking... I mean, we could all see the writing on the wall from February fifth, twenty nineteen, whatever it was, when that England came and, and dropped a bomb on the on, on the Aviva. Um, whereas this time around, Ireland have had a lot of issues, a lot of bad luck. That Scotland game in this year's Six Nations springing to mind, and they have been able to adapt. And again, it's another cliche, but you know the the, the embracing of chaos or whatever it was, and. You know, Paul O'Connell just nodding and winking at Dave Kilcoyne in the lift in Cardiff or whatever it was and saying, enjoy it or whatever. Like, is it, it, that, that attitude does just mean that even if they do play average rugby, you'd still think they have a way of grinding their way into being competitive, um, which is a massive difference. And I, I don't, I can't remember the last time I would have said that about an Irish side. You certainly would have said, wouldn't have said that about um, the 2019 Joe Schmidt side. Um, so, and, and that's huge because you said you, said you need, your, need luck to go your way. Um, but when it's not going your way, you need you need to find ways of of making sure that you're still competitive. And I think this, as well as being the most well rounded Irish side, it is the best Irish side that we've seen at at doing that and being and being so adaptable. Yeah, no, absolutely. I I can't disagree with that. And like finally, Gavin on Ireland, like they won a, they won a Test series in New Zealand. That doesn't happen. They won a Grand Slam in our history. That doesn't generally happen. Like there's nothing left to do. But as the lads kind of alluded to, it's still, you go back as far as the, the Six Nations of 2022 or the, the autumn of 2021. It never has felt like Ireland have been even close to perfect. They felt like they've always been that 80, 90%. Like they bet Wales. And a couple of people have said it to me, you know, that beating of Wales in, 
in Cardiff at the start of the year was unbelievable. We had a lot of Irish fans came out of the way from it saying, you know, that wasn't perfect. And that is a great position to be in. You've taken the words out of my mouth. To paraphrase Dennis Reynolds, we haven't even begun to peak. And I actually genuinely believe that. I think they've timed their development. I don't know that they're necessarily looking at it as a run the way, say, South Africa might have four years ago. I think they would have looked at it as a four-year journey towards the end of which things need to start coming together. And I think they've been slowly and incrementally coming together to unbelievable success for the last two years at least. And you're right to point out that they haven't been perfect. You think back to last November, the South Africa performance, unbelievable day out for the pack. A lot of chances went to begging. It was probably the first time in a while where we'd seen teams be able to snuff out Ireland's multi-layered attack, multi-phase attack. They got the job done. You think of the Australia game, worst performance again. Pretty poor Irish performance by their standards. Took a lot of work to get that job done, but got it done, crucially. You think of the France game in the Six Nations. Unbelievable performance, to my mind. But the atmosphere in the press room afterwards, even from Johnny Sexton and others, was not exactly jubilant. Like Sexton was definitely annoyed at the number of chances they had spurned. And then you think to say that decider, that series decider against New Zealand, first half at least, the brilliance and the extent to which it did click when it had to click. That was a pretty mesmerizing display, I felt. Obviously, New Zealand made a serious game of it in the end, but I thought the way in which they were criticized during that series as being a fundamentally bad team suddenly was actually overstated. And as much as they've made changes since then, I think that has been proven correct or that suspicion has been proven correct. Ireland against England in the grandstand decider, nervy enough display, like not perfect, but again, got the job done. They find ways to get it done. And I think that series decider in New Zealand shows me that when the time, if or when the time comes, that they have to get it done in a do or die game, they are going to be ready to do it. We're preoccupied with past traumas, understandably, as consumers of rugby, as rugby media, whatever way you want to frame it. There are players in that squad who would have been at a past World Cup where, yeah, they got bombed out of the quarterfinals by New Zealand, but they didn't bottle that game. They just weren't as good a team as a lot of the other teams remaining in the competition at that point, including New Zealand. It wasn't a psychology thing. It was a rugby thing. Um, 2015, forget about it. A completely different category of game against Argentina. A lot of the mythology around their quarterfinal exits, I think, has been inflated by people who either don't like the Irish rugby team, don't like rugby, or the Welsh. And I would say that going into a quarterfinal this time around, do you think Dan Sheehan, who has gone down to New Zealand and won a series on Kiwi soil, who has won a Grand Slam with Ireland. Do you think he's going to be afraid of playing a quarterfinal against France or or New Zealand? Are you having a laugh? And there's a lot of players in a similar boat. Kieran listed a few of them there. I think about, I'd make it that six of our frontliners at the moment and some of our most important players weren't even at the last World Cup. Even for some of the guys where baggage, quote-unquote, might apply, I think that's a completely overstated thing. I think it's an external perception. I don't know that the players... Think of games through that prism. I think they get to a quarterfinal and they think knockout rugby, it's time to win this game. 80 minutes, job done. And if I was the other countries coming into this competition, I'd be looking at Ireland and I'd be a little bit fearful of them. Again, we can be a little bit preoccupied by, by the dangers of Scotland and South Africa in our pool. And quite rightly, by the way, two good teams. But if you were France or New Zealand looking at Ireland's pool, I'd be thinking, I don't know if I'd fancy a game against Ireland in the quarterfinal, actually. They're a bloody good team. So on we go. I'm psyching myself up here now. I think we're going to win it. 
we'll, we'll get to that later. Even though previous <laughs> podcasts will suggest, I don't like people saying we're going to win it because I get nervous <laughs> myself. And that's that's an entirely different conversation. But one hundred percent agree with your point in terms of like even Fabian Galtier said, I don't want to play Ireland. He didn't say he wants to play South Africa. But he did say he doesn't want to play Ireland in the quarterfinal because he understands like as much as it has been you know, two to one to France in the last three games, they were still all one score games. Like that's the fine margins that you talk about. And France are one of the major contenders. There's no doubt about that. You're looking at a team who like their hosts. Yeah. They have a couple of injuries, but they've exceptional depth. Like they've nearly 30 professional teams. And, you know, some of the pro D2 players will probably make some of the provincial teams, you know, at least at, in the URC games, for instance. And like, South Africa, are they've been there, done that, bought the T-shirt. New Zealand, you can't write them off. Ireland, Grand Slam champions. And I start with yourself, Gavin, again, you know, just to really kick the hype into overdrive. Like, it feels like this is kind of a four-way shootout. The stats would suggest it's a four-way shootout. And in some ways, people say that's boring. But the fact that they're all due to meet in the second week of October, it's it's just exciting, though, isn't it? I would suggest it's been a lot more boring in the past where it has seemed on paper to be a one or a two-way shootout. And it's often proven otherwise. It's just that this time around on paper, you can't even really separate those four teams. And there's an avenue for a fifth and even a sixth team, arguably, to put themselves in the mix. So it's... And like, to be honest, like there's an element of like the Catalina wine mixer about a World Cup as well where weird things are going to happen. Magical things are going to happen. It might not be for Ireland. It might not be for South Africa, but it's going to happen for somebody. And like, as much as we use past fixtures between these teams as points of reference, we've done it most recently with South Africa destroying New Zealand. There, (laughs) a lot can be achieved by a team in a couple of weeks when there's an impetus to improve a certain element of your game. You improve one one particular element of your game and the complexion of a fixture against the same opposition can completely be turned on its head. So that's why I said at the top, so much of what I have to say about the World Cup is about my own excitement, but it's so difficult to project what's going to happen. And could you really ask for more than that as a sports fan going into any tournament where nobody has a bull's notion as to who's going to lift the trophy at the end of it. That's If you get that at elite level sport, and when we know that some of these fixtures, particularly this weekend to begin with, are going to be as objectively entertaining, as captivating as they are, that's, what's made, that, that's what makes this version of this tournament the best ever, I think. I, I do truly think it'll play out that way. I, I think it might be one that puts rugby over the top a little bit and... and as much as you talk about growing the game and it's a painful enough phrase, we might need to think of synonyms for that. I actually think this could be the one that puts it in living rooms and probably more pertinently on people's phones around the world where Antoine Dupont does something unbelievable and suddenly you have people going, oh yeah, rugby, I'm aware of it, but have I ever, have I ever seen it? I'm thinking of people in America or Indonesia or whatever. And I could see some stars emerging from this tournament doing amazing things and giving rugby a little bit of a, a better footing in terms of the global sporting picture. And if that is what this tournament goes on to achieve, like then it'll have been a very good tournament. Absolutely. And there's, I, I was going to ask later, and I will, for you know players who could rise. And like St. Dupont feels like the boring answer, but he is just hands down the best rugby player in the world. You talk about the phrase, hang it in the Louvre. 
there is a picture of Antoine Dupont, a poster of him outside the Louvre. Like that's, it's just made. It's it, France is his at the moment. Forget Mbappe. It's it's Dupont country at the moment. But um, Kieran, just quickly as well, like it feels like a four-way shootout, and yes, that adds to the excitement. But do you do you think it really is a case of a four-way coin toss between Ireland, France, South Africa, and New Zealand? Yeah, I do. And I agree with absolutely everything Gavin said there. He got me pumping my fist off the chest, off the, off the desk here as he was, as he was going on. Um, yeah, it's four way shootout, I think. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if any one of those four teams go on to win it. Um, it's probably like we all know what makes those four teams good. But if I was maybe to try like pick holes in each of them, I think some of the injuries that have hit France are, you know, are obviously huge blows. And then with that bit of controversy that has crept in this week as well, all of their own doing, that's not ideal. And I think the pressure on them to deliver at a World Cup, that can start to feel very intense for players as the weeks roll by. Um, Ireland's, as we said earlier, like I'd worry what the squad maybe looks like at a semi-final or in a quarter-final if they've taken a few injuries, if there's no... Andrew Porter or Caelan Doris or Johnny Sexton or, or even a James Lowe, I think the picture can start to look very different there. New Zealand, I'm, they were kind of my favourites to win the World Cup a couple of weeks ago, but I'm maybe not convinced that they have the the depth, and I know how that sounds, and maybe just lacking a little bit of bite in the pack, even though I think there's some obviously outstanding players there. And then South Africa, for me, look obviously increasingly dangerous over the last couple of weeks um, but I think out half looks like a potential issue if Pollard doesn't come back into the mix Libok he's, he's he's really exciting and open play but I just don't trust him off the tee and I don't think he's a 10 that can looks like he can steer you through tight games and nail the pressure kicks needed but again like I can I can see reasons why every one of those teams if they do what we know they can do will be good enough to go all the way and win a World Cup. And like that's why it makes it so exciting. Again, it's hard to just not repeat what Gav said, but like you think of the All-Ireland Football Championship this year, everybody's saying, will it be Kerry or Dublin? And then you get a Kerry-Dublin final. New Premier League season has just kicked off and everybody's going, you know, it's it's can anybody stop Man City? With this, there's four clear teams that you can look at and say, each one of these will be good enough to go on and win a World Cup. And if they did so, there'd be no complaints. And that's it, adds the intrigue, you know, it's just plain as simple as that. And Nathan, I'll come to you last on this one. Like, it, it feels like a four way toss, you know, everyone is saying that way. Do you think there's an element of, you know, each side has their own weaknesses, and that really it could just come down to who's kind of trending throughout the tournament? Like, you look at South Africa's run of games, it's kind of every two weeks they have a tough one, and that's which is nice for the first six weeks. And do you feel like that's kind of as important as Anthem, just getting that momentum and the form when there's so little between these teams? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think Kieran's point is a great one, just because you know who's going to win it doesn't mean it's not exciting. Um, I thoroughly, completely agree with that. Um, on, on your point about weaknesses, <laughs> it's so hard to predict form and to predict to predict momentum and yes that that's going to be absolutely everything but as we've said before uh, any momentum that is built up over the course of the first two or three pool games can can be eradicated by the last pool game as, as Ireland learned in 2015 when the, all those injuries completely culled 
the momentum, the good momentum that, that that they had built up built up in that tournament. So that plays a part as does luck and everything. In terms of weaknesses, I think out of those four teams, the side with the least amount of glaring weaknesses is probably France. I mean, we spoke about Ireland being a total team. People will point at Porter's scrummaging is probably one of the more glaring weaknesses. South Africa, we still don't know if they have enough beyond the pure power game. New Zealand probably don't have enough of a power game based on what South Africa did to them. But you look at France and you go, there's not a lot of weaknesses there. The set piece is really strong. The power game is obviously as good as anyone's. The ability to break games open is as good as anyone's. It's just, do they do the the one French performance out of five or six that we haven't seen from them in a while, but everyone will still go if they still might have it in them. And of course, a world a home World Cup and the pressures of that. Uh, for as much as Galtier has got them to clean up their act, they, they haven't had to deal with the pressures of that. Um, it's very unscientific weakness compared to <laughs> compared to the others. But yeah, I think I think that's momentum is important. But just looking at weaknesses, I mean, France, I think on paper are the the least have the least amount of uh, glaring weaknesses. And there is an element of yeah, France has the least amount of weakness, but they also have pressure. And there is a major talk point going on in France at the moment with the player called up for. Paul Valemson, and we could talk about that for half an hour, three quarters of an hour, I'd say, but we won't because we're there's probably people better off to talk about that as well, you know, understandably so given the circumstances. Um, but just kind of moving on, kind of like how every talent show likes to have a kind of segment that kind of stops you from getting too excited. We might just talk on, you know, a few trips down memory lane, a couple of predictions, things like that. Uh reprieve from the analysis, a bit of fun stuff. And just have a couple of questions here. So, Nathan, I'll start with you. And I go Nathan Gavin here on for all these. Just first thing that comes into your head, really. So, kind of first favorite World Cup memory, Nathan, and if there's any really obscure ones as well. Uh, my first memory. It's not my favorite, but I'll, I'll go first because if I put it as the obscure, the timeline doesn't work up. But my first World Cup memory was two thousand and seven. Uh, no, well, obviously I watched Doyle Wilkinson's drop goal, but the first one I can remember being really engaged with was being in Dublin Airport going on holiday somewhere and watching the game Ireland-France in the bar and my dad rolling the hair off, head off at O'Gara because he kicked the ball for the 12th time in a row or something like that out of hand. That's my first like defining Irish uh, World Cup memory. Um, the most obscure one is probably that same tournament. I was at the... Uh, the France New Zealand quarter final when Michelac kind of made that break and and broke for, uh, New Zealand's hearts and the forward pass that wasn't that was kind of the first big. This is something massive. Uh, memory I have of uh of World Cups. And uh, have you a favorite one? I know it's it's hard for Irish fans, but we we have a few favorites, surely. Uh, the 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 Ian Madigan crying in twenty fifteen. Yeah. That was pretty. That was pretty powerful. Yeah, that's true. Now, uh, Gavin, we'll, we'll come to you. Next, you know, first memory, favorite memory, random, random memories. My first memory is that one sixth final against Argentina in 1999, which I don't really want to talk about. And to be fair, I'm thankful that it's a very hazy memory. And actually, one of my favorite memories is Quinny's try in 2003 and, and the fact that there was a sense of that setting the record straight, which is actually totally unfair in Argentina, but it was just a game where. Bear in mind how different the environment was around Irish rugby at that time. And you were going into a World Cup absolutely in hope of even just getting to a quarterfinal and trying to squeeze past that rather than expectation of anything more. It felt personal against Argentina that day. And um, 
quite a finish as well by Quinny. I'm sure he he probably watches that one back when he's had a couple of jars at home. But um, obscure ones. It's funny. Nathan was at that France-New Zealand game in 07 and I was there as well, probably for the same reason. We hoped that Ireland would be there. Um, Or at least we were preparing for an eventuality where they would be either in Cardiff or Paris in a quarterfinal that year. I remember that's firstly one of the greatest games of rugby that I've ever seen in person or otherwise. Just one of the most dramatic things and like to give people a sense of what it was like to be there. I remember after the game, just the stands of the Millennium Stadium being lined with Kiwis who were phoning home, many of them in tears. I'm talking about grown men, grown women, a lot of whom were trying to make plans to get back to New Zealand because their tour of Europe at that point had been cut far shorter than they had anticipated. And it was the first time I'd seen in person what it actually means to people from New Zealand. I don't mean to mock them at all. It was actually, in retrospect, quite an amazing thing and uh, almost a moving thing. Um, I just uh, There were elements of that game, obviously, Shabal facing up to the hacker, etc., that just made it an unbelievable game. Plus the fact that my dad and I were trying to find our way to our seats, and it was actually Grant Fox who we met outside who sort of steered us towards the right section because he was sitting uh, pretty nearby. So just a, a special memory. I think some of my favorite ones as well would be like, and I guess they would qualify as obscure to a degree, but like just Rupeni Thakthani Bukha announcing himself in 2003, some of those amazing runs and wonder tries. And that's probably what the World Cup has always meant to me, more so than just Ireland's campaigns. It's been about those players who can become the breakout players who we might get into in a while. Um, guys that sort of earn a special place in your heart, even if they don't necessarily go on to do greater things in the game. And... Um, I'm not sure that I cover all the categories there. Was there anything else? No, I think I think you have them. They're, they're the three good answers, to be fair. Kieran, you did a full podcast and all this. You kind of have the run on us for, for these questions. So first favourite and random World Cup memories. Yeah, I'll try not to repeat myself too much. But like it, it's funny. I can remember the, the 1998 Football World Cup in France quite vividly. But the 99 Rugby World Cup, just didn't register as much like I just can't remember anything about you know flags up in school or anything like that and just bits and pieces of Ireland playing in this big competition even though I had family who went over to a couple of the games it just wasn't that big event and maybe that's just probably where down to where I grew up really but 2003 is the one that I kind of remember properly um and yeah as kind of discussed last week we did a podcast in 42 at Murray and it was France Ireland in that World Cup for me Um I just became a bit enthralled with Freddie Michelak he was just this magnetic kind of character to watch Um and I became a little bit obsessed with uh, Freddie for the next 10 years or whatever but then in my teens it would have kind of just been watching the great New Zealand teams and being in awe of guys like Dan Carter and all these superstars like Reed Kano Mananu just watching like World Cups felt like a big event and one of the reasons for that was you had like this like Harlem Globetrotters type team who were just absolutely exceptional and yeah that would be the real kind of I kind of remember those World Cups for not Ireland not what Ireland did um but obscure rugby World Cup memories I had to fact check myself on this earlier when I was trying to think about it uh I remember watching Johnny Wilkinson kick the drop goal in 2003 against Australia in Arnott's and I must have been dragged out of the house somehow that morning to help with some shopping or I don't know that I maybe have a game around town and then 
ended up in Arnott's with my parents for some reason. But like, I just remember being in, I'm 99% sure it was Arnott's and being in like the homeware section or the electrical section or whatever. And me and a bunch of dads watching Johnny Wilkinson kick the drop goal and not a lot of cheering going on. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think, yeah, it must have been because I was trying to look back and that game, it was an eight o'clock kickoff over there. So I think it was like 9 a.m. here. So I must have been in Arnott's at about half 10 or 11 o'clock. Yeah, yeah, I was. I had just finished a training session in Cork Con, so it was definitely morning. And I'd say our training yeah. would have started around nine, and we watched the end of it in the club bar. So I think your timing is spot on. Like, yeah, I think that's it. I think I, mu- I must have had a match around town, and then ended up in Arnott's for some reason. But yeah, that's kind of the obscure memory I have watching Johnny Wilkinson kick. That, that's a good kick one, the drop to goal. Yeah, I I kind of have two first because, um. My my real first one is Ireland Argentina in two thousand seven, but I refuse to say that because Ireland Argentina in two thousand seven did not go well. Like mm-hmm. in trying to explain to a kid that oh they need a bonus point win, it's like yeah that's grand four tries, it's only four tries. No, it, it really it did not go that way. Um, so twenty eleven, I was obsessed. You know, we hit Satanta with all the games. You know, it was unbelievable getting up at six o'clock in the morning to watch Ireland Russia. She's like, why why wouldn't you like you know at at that age? So that was. Mine, my favorite was probably, you know, Ireland France twenty fifteen. I feel like anyone in my age group was kind of the standout one, you know. And there's been great games otherwise, but obscure, you know, you were on about coming out of training. That's nice and wholesome. I myself and a few lads before college watched Uruguay Fiji, eating breakfast, watching that on ITV, and just roaring for Uruguay. We did not know who anyone was, not Arata, not any of the lads. Listen, that's that's what the World Cups are about. Like, and did the same thing then this year for you know Argentina, Saudi Arabia, and the in the football World Cup, just just typical stuff that that'll happen. Um. Well, so we have the the past years done. We have to go on to twenty twenty three now as well. So, Nathan, firstly, eight quarter finalists, starting with Pule. Who do you think are going to be the the eight that go through? Sorry, I just was trying to look up there while you're talking. I think I remember another another obscure one. I think I vaguely remember um, like a Daily Mail. I don't know. I don't want to say it was definitely them, but a headline or something. It was like a, a Driscoll in his one of the, the the tasseled cap that they had in the ceremonies, and the caption is just how much the players get as bonus for winning the World Cup back in two thousand and seven. <laughs> and it was something like they would all get two million quid each or something. I don't know what the figure was, but it was definitely in the millions. Um, or something ridiculous like that. Uh, that's that's another obscure one I remember back when, yeah, uh, back when I, I don't know. I didn't buy I didn't buy the Daily Mail, so I don't know where I saw that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> sure, Nathan. <laughs> yeah, what nine 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 year old Nathan was uh was a big uh, big Daily Mail reader back in the day. Uh, sorry, so the, the original question it was uh pool predictions, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of these are fairly straightforward. Poulet, France, New Zealand, uh, not in that order. France first, New Zealand second. I think, uh, I think Ireland will win their pool, and South Africa will come out as well. Uh, I don't see Wales qualifying. I think Australia and Fiji will come out of that one, and then uh, Argentina, England. I know Samoa did impress in the rain, but I think the rain was a leveler in that one, and I do think as poor as England are, like. I don't think they're. It's. I don't think we're going to see another repeat of 2015 where they they crash out. Um, I think they'll 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 survive, and Argentina will will top that group. Okay, Gavin, over to you. Who's the eight? 
exact same as Nathan and in the exact same orders. So pretty simple. Fair enough. Kieran, are you going the same or are you going to stray? I am disappointingly, yeah. The exact same. Oh, the exact same. I, I actually I think, think that, that exciting. <laughs> I actually think Wales are gonna get out of their group and gonna get to a third, fourth place playoff. Maybe I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I I fancy Wales the chances of taking England in a in a quarter final. So that's just me. I think they could take Australia as well and then it'll be a complete coin toss and sure. Listen, this this is what this entire World Cup is, but if Wales gets to a third fourth place playoff, that's Gatlin's biggest achievement. That's far more impressive than any of his Grand Slam wins. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like at least they're kind of good players. Whereas now we've almost a reality TV show about Lewis Rizama daring on the BBC. Like it's complete <laughs> despair at the moment. Alwyn Jones is going to be on Virgin Media. Like what's what's going on in Wales? But, but we have, oh, like Gavin mentioned, you know the star players that you don't really know. Um, Nathan, who's your kind of player that'll have a breakout tournament and then team that could have a that could spring a surprise on us? Uh, I really like Muds, the, the Fijian out half. I, I think he's he's quality, and I think if I back Fiji to qualify, I think he'll, he'll be a massive part of that. So, um, like there's loads of breakout players, like I don't know, sometimes you can get caught in like an Irish bubble and you know, have has the world seen properly or properly appreciated the likes of Dan Chu and Caelan Doris. Probably not, but I don't think you can call them breakout players. If if Ireland get to the semi final, you know, Caelan Doris will probably be the best player at the pitch. But does that count as a breakout, or do are we too involved? So I'll go for a more um uh the, the the I think any one of the Australian backline as well if they fire probably um the winger who's no one named who no one names no one can pronounce his name Noanga Wasi if I got that right Noanga Wasi yeah um yeah I think. I just wanted to say his name again. Does that count as a breakout? I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think Munts will have a massive role to play if 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 Fiji get out of that pool. And, and then what? There was a team as well, wasn't there? Yeah. Well, was it disappointment? Uh, surprise okay. team first. Um, can't say Fiji are a surprise team because we're all tipping them to get out of the pool, apart from you, Kayla. Um, I think I think not. Maybe not necessarily in wins, but I think Georgia. Uh, they'll definitely their their set piece will will run a few teams in that pool in that pool close. That's a good one. Um, Gavin, over to you. Player and team that could surprise or have a breakout autumn. Mons was going to be mine as well, just in that I I could see him being one of the guys who might be remembered like a Tauthani Buka only. He might endure in a in a way that Tauthani Buka didn't quite. Um. But I'll say Matthew Jalabert, and I know it sounds obvious in that he's going to be France's starting out half, but the reason why I would go with him off the top of my head now is the fact that I could see a situation in which, even though Roman Entomac has done nothing wrong, he literally just scored a mesmerizing try to win a top 14 final. I, I could imagine that 10 picture replicating Ireland's hooker picture in recent years and Jalabert taking France on a run maybe steering them to glory. And when they come back, he's just there starting out half because he's been there and done it most recently. And suddenly the the picture flips on its head and Jalibert maybe becomes like a, a real poster boy for the game in France and could lead them into the Six Nations and beyond. And obviously, like, they're both 24, I think. That battle will become their own sort of Rod Humphreys thing for a long time yet. There's a part of me that would love to see Jalibert do it. He's actually a, a Parisian boy, or he's from 
Saint Germain, which is, I think, um, his exact uh, hometown or street is around 15 kilometers from the city center of Paris. So you can imagine a, a Bordeaux player sort of returning to Paris and getting the job done on the 28th of October to be pretty magical. I just think he might be a guy that we're talking about a lot more after the tournament than we have been in the lead into it. Uh, oh, and sorry, um, surprise team. I kind of mentioned it already, but I, I think Argentina might have a final in them. It's not, maybe it wouldn't be a huge shock, but just again, because of Cheka's expertise when it gets to those must-win games, because of the way the tournament is laid out for them, because their most recent form kind of tracks in that direction. I know they've just lost twice in a row to South Africa, but good win on the road against Australia, two really close games against South Africa. It's been the first time in Cheka's reign where they've actually put together an element of consistency in their performance and they've run top teams really close. So just wouldn't shock me if they get to a final. Those would be my two calls. Yeah, no, I can I can definitely see that as well because World Cups have a tendency of repeating themselves and every once in a while teams who have great quarterfinals are spent and can't do it in the semi-final, for instance. And we've seen it with France in 07, Argentina in 2015, for instance, France in 2011 to a lesser degree. It wasn't a great game against England. England, New Zealand and then England, South Africa in 2019, it can happen. You can catch a team on the hop in these games, especially in the emotional roller coaster of a World Cup. So, Kieran, finally to you for, for that one, you know, breakout players and surprising teams. Is there anyone that, that stands out to you? Yeah, it's tough going last here and not repeating what the lads have said. But uh, like Gav, I think, if, I think if I'm thinking of players who are maybe not absolute superstars yet but are kind of coming into the tournament in form someone like Kane and Moody at South Africa um, like I'm just I'm a big fan like we obviously know the potential that he has but he's only got what like I think it's eight, eight caps to his name like he's that. just electric and I can just see him being somebody who leaves a really kind of lasting impression on this tournament and becomes one of the stars of the World Cup and then I was thinking as well like if I if I wasn't Irish, who in this Ireland team would maybe be somebody that I'd like to enjoy watching? And I think maybe that person is like Mac Hansen. Um, again, like we obviously all know what he's capable of, but he's still relatively new into his test career. So if there's people out there tuning in to watch this World Cup who aren't quite as aware of how good he is, he's maybe someone like he doesn't get the same headlines as a, you know, a Sexton or a Van der Fleer or a Doris or whoever. But I think he's just so impressive adding bits to his game and Buzz him with confidence. He, I think he could be somebody that, again, just lights up the World Cup and really kind of announces himself on the world stage. Um, what was next? Surprise package, team. team. Yeah, I kind of agree with everything the lads just said. Um, I, I, yeah, I think Argentina. Again, not really a surprise, but I could just see them going on a good run. I think it's kind of set up for them nicely. Um, I've liked what I've seen over the last year or whatever under Cheka and I think they've got the I think they've got the squad there to go deep. I I had two South Africans for my breakout players. One of them was Kane and Moody. So I'll go with Jan Klein because why not? <laughs> you know I've been a Jan Klein fan for, for seven years now or six years now. So why not? He's he's gonna be integral. He's already nuking lads at rooks in, in warm up games and apparently they don't matter as games. So you know, capture caps, some people said. So why not? He's going to have a great tournament. And I think, mm, surprise team, I actually think Italy could surprise people. I think they'll be better than people expect because they, they've been written off 
and Italy are better when they're written off. You know, so and you could add Caputo to a breakout player as well because if he says fit, he's going to play in an awful lot of open games. They're going to be high scoring, and he's be great for your fantasy teams. That's that's all I say. Um, Kieran, you didn't like coming last, so I'll give you first for this one. Uh, teams that'll be um ma- the biggest disappointment of of a team, and please don't say Ireland. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I won't say Ireland. Um, biggest disappointment. Well. Like England will be poor, I think, but they'll probably still trundle along. We've covered Wales. I wouldn't be shocked if they don't get out of their group. Um, maybe Japan, if you're looking at what they did in 2019. I don't. Uh, I'm not expecting much from Japan this time around, unfortunately. Nathan, who's which team are you not expecting a lot from or expect to to flunk? Uh yeah. Again, I don't think if you're expecting. Four results. I don't think it's disappointing. Uh, I don't think no one's expecting Tonga to get out of the group. I kind of hinted at it earlier. I'm not sure I quite buy the the bringing the band back together a bit. I think, like I said earlier, they're built to score some pretty looking tries. And the two second rows and Fafita and Lucy, the Scarlet's lads, will do some damage in their pod play. But across the board, I don't think they're going to live up to performance expectations. Not that anyone is expecting them to get out of the group, but I, I don't think they'll run the other three sides as close as, as people think. And Gavin, to you now, which which team is it? I, I, I couldn't say with any certainty, and I do believe Fiji will get out of the pool, but an eventuality in which they don't would be surprising at this point and would be, I think, one of the most disappointing storylines of the tournament. And it's also utterly conceivable because Australia, they're a decent team. Wales, they're not yet decent, but they can become decent. It's still a tough pool, so that would be my fear for the World Cup from uh, outside of an Irish perspective. I'm going to shock all of you. I'm going to say New Zealand. I think New Zealand are going to be... I think they're going to be shown up on Friday night, and I think they're going to lose the quarterfinal to Ireland. And Ooh. Ireland don't necessarily win by three points. So, yeah, that's mine. I This is going to be clipped. This is going to be John Kerwin's piece on the breakdown in November. <laughs> but listen, the, you live by the sword, you die by the sword. I'm going to say New Zealand. I've been saying this for ages, though. But I also said South Africa wouldn't win 2019 World Cup, so maybe don't listen to me in that regard. Um, Nathan, come back to you for a, a, a bold prediction here now. I think I've already ticked that box now. But anyways, bold prediction. Yeah, I was going to go with the Argentina's run here, but that's been said a few times. Uh, old prediction. I don't know. Is, is, uh, is Joe McCarthy making the bench with the South Africa game? Is that a bold prediction? I don't know. I don't think that's that's not that's not sexy enough. Um, I would say the player of the tournament could well come from like someone from the Australian backline if they make a if they make a run to the final. So someone like uh, uh, Noamini Tuase or someone like that, I think that would be my bow prediction. Just just trying to say that name as many times. We we all have to I practice think I butchered it. it the second time, to be fair. That's <laughs> uh, fine. We're all trying to practice it. We're on the same boat. Gavin, what's your bold prediction if you have one? I think Eddie Jones might hit someone. <laughs> I think Australia... <laughs> could get to a semi-final and some journalist asks him has he heard from Quade Cooper yet and he just finally snaps and he lands a, a right hand from across the street and he's like mate you had it coming there you know something along those lines 
we don't that would be very bold violence. admittedly <laughs> we don't control violence but that would be absolutely hilarious in some regard Kieran, are, you, are you going with uh, uh, punches or are you going with something a bit more on the field which could also be punches to be fair yeah, I, I had Australia to get to the final as my bold prediction, which just sounds so boring after what Gav just said. But if Australia there, gets sorry. to the final, if if Australia get to the final with uh, Eddie Jones taking a few names along the way, then we're in for a crack in a few weeks. As long as it's not your own names, which is probably the the other part of it we should stress. But that's that's fair. I yeah, I've already said New Zealand. I can't really double down. I could double down on the monster stuff, but I feel like I'd start losing people right before we predict who's going to win, which we'll get into. Um, it's 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 tough to say if you know you don't want to say Ireland purely because of the mocker gods. That's fair enough. But Giron, who do you think is going to win the Rugby World Cup? Yeah, I th- I th- I thought France before the injuries kind of started piling up, um, and I'll stick with France. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was New Zealand. Okay, interesting. Nathan, who's, who do you see lifting the web, Ellis? Uh, if Dante is fit for the back end, France. That's good, that's true. He, he did some damage in, in the Heineken Cup final, as we alluded to. And Gavin, who, who do you see doing it? Yeah, Triple Crown. I have always thought it was going to be France for the last four years. I would be concerned from their point of view about the injuries. They have unbelievable depth, unparalleled depth. They can certainly cope with the injuries that they've suffered at the moment. The thing is with depth, though, is like it'll only get you so far. If you if you lose too many players, ultimately you lose a lot of what you've built up over the last couple of years, yeah. and you just you're feeling guys who simply haven't had the reps. And they might be the most talented players in the world, but they might not be quite plugged in or in, in tune with what you're trying to do to the same degree. Um, that would be my only concern for France. I think outside of France, Ireland. And I'm intrigued as to why you think South Africa. Is this making up for you were writing them off four years ago? What's the story? No, came? it's... Um, I think South Africa are going to beat France in the quarterfinal. I think that's oh. where France get caught. I think they'll come in cold colder than South Africa I think they'll be riled up They'll, I think Ireland will beat them South Africa will be riled up in a way that only Erasmus could get them and they'll take France I it, a one score game all of these games are just one score games mind you Um, so don't be don't be betting on, on my advice and I think they'll beat Ireland in the final I don't I don't like saying that but I that's what I'm feeling at the moment so. It's because of John Klein, isn't it? It's not because of John Klein. It's not because of John. It's because of Borges Nyman. Has <laughs> <laughs> Klein played well for Monster this season, or, or did he have a good season last year? I hadn't heard any Monster fans mention him. Jesus, I don't know. I, you definitely didn't hear me saying it anyway. No, like, no. I've I probably said it on Leinster and Ulster podcasts. Never mind, just my own talking about Monster at this stage. But lads, thanks very much, and uh, to yourselves and to everyone listening. Hopefully, we have. A very enjoyable World Cup, and hopefully none of us are wrong with the or none of us are right with the predictions. Apologies. Hopefully none <laughs> of us are right with that. With that, who goes on to win it? And again, you know, thanks very much. But I, I don't need to remind everyone we're just a few sleeps away from the opening night with Munster against Leinster. Sorry, not Munster against Leinster. Most great, okay, France against New Zealand. <laughs> it's that influence. And here we're going to have plenty. We're going to have preview articles, preview podcasts, recap podcasts, the whole shebang, and we'll also have. 
a weekly roundup podcast with guests from Wales, England, Scotland, South Africa, the the world over for the next coming coming weeks. So this is your home of fan led World Cup coverage. If if you want, you can always subscribe. The links will be down below. The links for the lads' Twitter pages and all that will be down below. Which, as always, I highly recommend. And you know, Gavin and and Kieran will be will have podcasts coming from France and and etc. And yeah. Enjoy the World Cup, everyone. We're almost there. And hopefully it is. Hopefully we are all wrong with our predictions. So thanks very much for listening. Until next time, take it easy. Sports Social Podcast Network.